So this morning, I want to share with you on a subject that I believe is so important, um, and it's entitled The Anatomy of Friendship. And some of you might be thinking, Paul, why are you talking about friendship? Because we're in a lockdown, and we can't even see our friends right now, all right? Uh, but it's so crucial that we develop a theology of friendship, even with people who are within our families, right? There's a theology we have on marriage, we know what it means to be a good husband. We know what it means to be a good wife, right? There's a theology we have around our ecclesiology, how we go about doing church. But what I've realized is that a lot of Christians, a lot of believers are a bit confused when it comes to what do I look for in a friend biblically? And what do I look for in how I should be as a friend? How should I be? And I'm really excited because many of you are watching from home all over Gauteng, uh, Joburg, Pretoria. Uh, I know our friends in Manchester are also watching this message. And I'm really trusting God that he really ministers to us concerning this thing called friendship at a very deep level. You see, many people are not strategic about how they relate. As I sit down and I reflect during these 21 days of lockdown, I need to be asking myself, which relationships do I need to initiate? That's a key question. Ask yourself, which relationships do you need to initiate? Which relationships do you need to nurture? Which relationships do you need to rebuild? Which relationships do you need to redefine? And which relationships do you need to terminate? And God is very interested in this. In fact, I believe that friendship is one of those things that was given to us as a gift, but many of us don't maximize on the gift of friendship. Research is being carried out on this particular topic, and it's actually been found that a lot of people will say, my friendships are quite instrumental when it comes to my happiness in life. Many people will say that. But you'll also find, the research found, that a lot of people will say, it's more about my intentions than what actually ends up happening. I want to spend time with my friends. I want to do this. I want to do that. But I don't get around to doing it. Why? It's not a priority. So it's key to our happiness in life. It's key to our enjoyment in life. But for many of us, our priorities are obvious, you know. It's my wife. It's my kids. And yet, we enjoy friendship so much. So there's a guy called um, William Rawlins. Uh, he's a professor of interpersonal communication at Ohio University. And uh, he did some interesting research on friendship. And he mentioned that he's spoken to people as old as 100 and as young as 14 years of age. And he found a few common denominators. He said there was something they all had in common when it came to what they looked for in a friendship. Right? Number one, enjoyment. They want to enjoy the other person. Number two, someone who's dependable. They were looking for someone they could depend on. That speaks to me of trust, doesn't it? It speaks to me of trust. And then they were also looking for someone that they could speak to. Someone that they could speak to. So I've expanded this to about 10 key items that we look for in friends when it comes to selecting good friends. But also, how do you want to be as a friend? Right? I want to encourage you, if you're married and you're listening to this, it's been found that friendship is a strong foundation when it comes to happy marriages. So I'd like you, as I go through this process and take you through these 10 items, to actually reflect on your marriage and to say, you know what, are we actually good friends? Is my spouse my bestie? I believe a lot of marriages are crumbling today because there isn't a foundation of friendship. God is so interested in this thing. Now, 
Let me say something else about friendship. It's on a continuum, isn't it? It's on a continuum because when you look in scripture, there are a number of words and phrases that are used interchangeably with the, with the phrase or word friend. Okay, there are words like an associate. That's why the Bible says, be careful who you associate with. Okay, there are powerful words that speak of friendship like companion, right? Then we speak of a traveling companion, someone you travel with, all right? Uh, even acquaintance, to some degree, you can call the person an acquaintance, but there's some degree of friendship that sometimes is there. And what I've seen with a lot of people is what someone calls a friend, someone else wouldn't. Someone else won't call that same person a friend. I remember at Varsity back in the day, we had a friend who'd call everyone a very, very good friend. She'd say, yeah, there's a very, very good friend of mine. Very, very good. And would say, ah, how much do you actually know about that person that you're describing as a friend? And one day we caught her out because I said, do you know that he's getting married? There's some major thing happening in this person's life. And she didn't know that. But she would call this person a friend. So we also tend to define friendship differently. Some of you who are listening to this message, what I would call a bestie, you might just call a friend, okay? We've got different ways and, um, of assessing friendships, and we've got different value equivalents to what we call a friend. By the end of this message, I'd like you to have a clear sense of this is what a good friend does biblically, and aim and aspire toward that. Okay, and then also to be strong when it comes to, you know what, when I, when I select my friends, this is how I'm going to select them. Um, I find it very interesting in scripture, we actually see, there are four scriptures I want to share with you, that God calls us to be very selective about our friends because he sees friends as having a great influence over us. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So when we talk about who your friends are, we're also looking at who do, whose company are you in? Whose company are you in? And I find a lot of people say, those aren't my friends, those aren't my friends, but that's who they hang out with. And after a while, when you hang out with someone, they're your associate, you're associated with them. And a lot of us, as we get older, the research has actually found that we become almost lazy in terms of how we form friendships. It's very interesting. Um, William Rawlins actually says that any new friends people might make in middle age are likely to be grafted onto other kinds of relationships. For example, co-workers. Or, hey, you know what? Our, our kids do sports together, so we've become friends, all right? But that means that we're not actually working that friendship muscle. It's like, I happen to be with him in this other situation. I happen to be with her in this other situation. So we become friends, all right? Whereas you'll notice that the people who've got the greatest number of hours that they clock in when it comes to social interaction, some research actually found that it's actually your young adults. You know those people from age 20 or 19 through to about 24, right? And that's obviously largely because of college and they go there and so on, but they actually work that friendship muscle. Whereas as we get older, we tend to be a bit more relaxed and sometimes lazy about it. Our friendships are grafted into other forms of relationship. I want to encourage you to also count family members. Count your brothers. I'm friends. I've got a good friendship with my three brothers. All right? I want to encourage you to form friendships even with people who you're related to. But bad company corrupts good character. 
So after staying with someone for some time, keeping company with them for some time, guess what actually happens? They can corrupt that good character of yours. I know we all think we are strong and that, no, 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 we are fine. We are the influencer. But watch who you spend time with. And that's why a key question I like asking people when I'm coaching them, I say to them, are you spending a few hours with certain people you should only be spending a few minutes with? I'm so excited because I'm noticing a lot of intentional friendships forming in our church. The more we talk about community, the more we talk about discipleship, I'm noticing a lot of friendships forming very intentionally amongst people. And that's a case of walking with the wise and growing wiser, isn't it? In Proverbs 12, verse 26, it says, The righteous choose their friends carefully. So one of the marks of righteousness, one of the marks of being a well-discipled Christian is you're actually careful about who your friends are going to be. A lot of people in this arena, they don't live by design. They live by default. Oh, no, 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 we just trained together, so we were just hanging out, and now we're friends. Boom. Did you really want to be friends with that person? Are they right for you? Are you right for them? All right? Then he says, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So by inference there, it's saying that the wicked don't choose friends wisely, and they end up being led astray. Proverbs 22, verse 24 to 25 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. So there's certain people with certain characteristics. The Bible says don't actually make friends with that person. All right? How many of you have ever sat down and thought about it and had as, a, as one of your criteria when it comes to friend selection, hey, you know what? If someone has got a bad temper, I mustn't be friends with them. You see, we need a theology around our friendships. Okay, because I don't hear people saying that, you know, don't be friends with a hot-tempered person. Why does it say that? It says, do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. In other words, anger tends to catch on. Anger tends to catch on. When I counsel people, you hear them saying, sure, my father was so angry and I know where I get my anger from. My mother was so angry, she had a bad temper, I know where I get my anger from. Association association. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. A lot of times we don't like to walk with the wise because they challenge us. One of the things I've learned is that when you're building friendships, spend time with people, not that, not just people who you are more successful than, but spend time with people who are more successful than you. And I'm not just talking financially. Yes, it's good to have people with a few more zeros, you know, um, behind their name than you. It challenges you. You get accustomed to that. But it's also good to have people who are more spiritual than you, more prayerful than you, uh, have more integrity than you, more truthful than you, okay? Have moral qualities that you admire. There's some people who only hang out with people who they mentor, and then they feel good about themselves and they start believing their own press, thinking, I'm really wonderful, I'm really great. But there's something about walking with the wise. Are there certain people around you who are wiser than you? Are you intentionally building friendships with those people? So yes, I've got people who I groom. I've got people who I mentor. I've got friends where I'm probably wiser than them. However, I need to also have friends where I look up to them when it comes to their wisdom. Sometimes we don't do that because we feel intimidated. We feel uncomfortable when we're around those particular people. So I want to provoke you in some areas. 
And the first description of good friendship, when we look at the anatomy of a friendship, mutual loyalty, mutual loyalty. When we look in scripture, we see this. In 2 Kings chapter 2, I want to read from verse 2. It says, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now there was a strong father-son mentorship type of relationship there. But they're just those people where we've made a decision that, you know what, I won't leave you. You see that with Naomi and Ruth also in scripture. Are there any people in your life right now where you are so loyal to them? There's that commitment that, you know what, I'm actually not going to leave this person because I know that my life goes really well when I'm associated with this individual, when I'm linked to this individual. The fact of the matter is there's no self-made man. The fact of the matter is there's certain doors that open to you in your life for you, right, in your life, because of who you're associated with. And it's important to acknowledge it. Otherwise, we end up thinking, this blessing I'm experiencing is just me and God. It's just me and God, right? Ask yourself, where am I experiencing and walking in blessing because of my proximity to that particular individual? And you could see that Elisha was so passionate about it to a point where he almost disobeyed Elijah. He says, uh-uh. No, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to leave you, okay? And I believe it's the revelation we need to get. In Proverbs 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times. Isn't that wonderful? And a brother is born for a time of adversity. I like the way the term friend, especially when it's talking about a deep friendship, like your David and Jonathan's, for example, right? I like the way the term friend is used almost synonymously, with the term brother. And that's why it's wonderful when we refer to certain friends as, you know what, this is actually my brother. Because there's something about a brother. A, by nature and by definition, that person will always be your brother. You can't really unbrother them. You know, on Facebook today, you can unfriend people. You can't unbrother someone, whether you like them or not. And I love the way it says here in Proverbs 17, verse 17, it says, a friend loves at all times. One of the marks of good friendship, biblical friendship, is loyalty. Loyalty, not blind loyalty, not an unhealthy loyalty, but a sense of commitment that, you know what, I'm committed to you even in the difficult times. That's why we talk about fair weather friends. When things are going well for you, ooh, they're there. When your bank balance is doing really well, ooh, they're there. When you're now struggling, where are all those friends? Where are all those friends, right? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Okay, so what are some signs of loyalty? What are some signs of loyalty? You defend each other. You defend each other. You defend each other. So when you are out there, you don't spread rumors about your friend, but even when you hear rumors about them, you stop them. I remember with a friend of mine recently actually saying, do you want me to intervene in this situation where this person has treated you in this way. And I actually felt conviction about it because I had been meditating on these principles that I'm teaching you right now, right? And I actually felt like, you know what, if this person truly falls into that category of they're a friend of mine, then I need to actually be willing to stand up for them. You're willing to do that. You stick with them in both good times and bad times. Just reflect on your friendships right now and ask yourself, are there certain people you call friends who are going through a difficult time right now? 
Are you with them through thick and thin? Or are you only with them when the going is good? Right? You never betray them. It's amazing how people betray each other. People betray each other so much nowadays. Right? It's very, very subtle. You see them supporting you when everything is fine. And then when it affects their reputation, when they think, oh, my reputation is at risk, all of a sudden it's like, no, I can't do that from, for you. Okay? When you're loyal to your friends, you back them, even if it puts your reputation at risk. Okay? You're consistent in how you relate to them, regardless of who is there. We know many people like that, right? Where it doesn't matter who's there, they'll back you. But we also know other people where they will sing your praises when it's just the two of you. They will say all sorts of wonderful things when they're surrounded by people who they know are your fans. But when they know that someone doesn't like you, all of a sudden their tune changes. I've been there before. All of a sudden their tune changes. And you're thinking to yourself, when you're with me, you praise me so much. Oh, Pastor Paul, oh, you're really amazing. But with those people over there, Suddenly the praises stop. What's going on? You're not loyal. Right? I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed? How has this betrayal affected you? And how has it affected your behavior? The sting of betrayal is one of the worst experiences someone can have. One of the worst experiences someone can have. I want to encourage you. Make a commitment to not be a betrayer. And make a commitment that if you have been betrayed, that you heal from that, that you forgive. And it's not easy, I know. So that's the first one, loyalty. Loyalty. And by the way, sometimes loyalty doesn't look like how we usually define loyalty. For example, if you've got a friend and they're about to kill themselves and they're doing something that is really endangering their lives, okay? There are times when you might have to say something to their spouse. Right? Some people have got this type of blind loyalty where they think like, ooh, 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 if I tell the pastor this and this, it means I was ratting on that person. It means I was snitching on that person. I'm not talking about that type of blind loyalty. I'm talking about a type of loyalty that says, you know what? I will back you and I will do what I believe is best for you. All right? But I'm not going to let you die. The second quality of good friendships as we see in scripture, is mutual support, mutual support. There's something about a friendship where you support each other. And sometimes I like to ask teams this. I like to actually say to them, how many of you genuinely feel like the rest of the team is really excited for you when you do well? How many of you genuinely feel that you get the support that you need from everyone else on your team? And a lot of times people are like, no, it's just with a pocket of the people here, but not everyone else, all right? With Job, Job chapter 2, verse 11, it says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, so he was very short, okay? He was a Shuhite, right? Uh, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. I believe that in today's society, we need to do more of this. When we hear that these guys have got a troubled household, they're experiencing this difficulty, 
whether it's financial, whether it's marital, whether it's something happening uh, in the home to do with children or a business situation. Isn't it powerful when you've got a number of friends, not just one, but a number of friends, and they actually get together by agreement and they say, let's go and see this individual. And they come and they see you and they support you. I think that's so, so powerful. And that's a blessing of friendship. And it's not just about seeing people when they're in times of trouble. It's saying, I want to support you. You know, I know a number of people who, for example, recently resigned from their jobs and they're now entrepreneurs and they're starting up new things. Their friends should come alongside to say, let's help him get started. Do you need some advice? Can we connect you with this person? Can we connect you with that person? Okay, intentionally. So what do you do when you hear that your friend is in trouble? Do you ignore them? Do you wait for them to call you? Do you have a mindset that says, don't call me, I'll call you? Or do you get together as friends and say, let's go and support this individual? In Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 10, it says, two are better than one. I know some people think it's better they're just by themselves because they've been wounded. The fact of the matter is many of us have been wounded in so-called friendships not because there's a problem with friendship. It's a gift from God. But we've been wounded in friendships because we didn't apply biblical principles when it came to selection of friends. Right? We didn't apply biblical principles. But it says here, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That's one of the marks of a good friend. They support you. They lift you up when you have fallen. So my question to you is, have you become better because of your friends? Or have you become bitter because of your friends? Just think of your friends. Think of certain names. List them in your mind or write them down right now. Are you better because of those people or are you worse? Can you think of a time when they've helped you? Can you think of a time when you've helped them up? And which way round is it usually? One of the marks of an unhealthy friendship is when it's one way. You see, if you're the one who's always counseling your friends, but no one actually counsels you, don't call them friends. It's a counselor and a counselee. Because friendship is so much more than someone who just gives you advice. Okay? If, you, if all you're doing is going to someone and they're your advisor, then maybe they're a mentor of yours or an advisor, but not necessarily a friend. You see, counseling and advisory services come with friendship, but they're not the sum total of a friend. See, a friend is a companion. A friend is someone who you walk with through life. There are certain things you've got as common interests outside of the advice you just get from them. And so it's important to define these relationships clearly. Because if you're calling it a friendship, but everything is one way, you'll start feeling bitter. You'll start feeling, but I need something else in return. You see, as someone who counsels lots of people, I can counsel you. You don't have to counsel me back. And I'm not aggrieved by that because that's the nature of the relationship. It's not necessarily a friendship. It's, I'm your counselor. Does that make sense? All right. So, which way round is it usually? You see, you want it to be mutual support, not just support one way. And sometimes it's important to have that difficult conversation when it's too one way, right? It's important to actually say, listen, we're friends, right? 
I feel like I give you a lot of support in this particular area, but I, often I'm not getting it in return. Now, I know a lot of people will say, Paul, I've got friendships for different things, right? When I want advice, I go to this person. When I want to go shopping, I go with this individual. When I want to play squash, I go with that individual. So, Paul, I've got friends for different things. And that's true. We do have friends for different things. And sometimes that helps us to cope when we don't feel it's mutual. But let me tell you something. All friendships, in order to be healthy friendships, when it comes to support, the support needs to be mutual. It doesn't mean the same type of support I give you is exactly the same that you give me. But the fact that I'm supportive toward you, I'm also hoping that you'll be supportive in your own way, based on your own skills, to me. The third one is mutual growth. Mutual growth. There's something about friendship where you grow together. Are your friendships right now causing you to grow? Sometimes people get into relationships and I say, are you growing because of this relationship? And sadly, a lot of people backslide because of the relationship that they are in. I like to say to people, if being in that particular situation, it could be a job, it could be a friendship, if it's causing you to sin, you need to get out of it, right? And that's very biblical. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your friend is causing you to sin, pluck them out of your life, okay? Friendship is not the same as marriage, right? It's not the same as marriage. Some people kind of have this thing of like, you know what, it's a lifelong commitment. You know what, sometimes we grow out of certain friendships. We do, right? Sometimes we grow out of certain friendships. Sometimes we come to a place where God challenges us in our walk with him and we start realizing, you know what, we've outgrown certain people and it's time to move on. I'm not saying neglect your friendships. I'm not saying forget about where you come from, all right? But I'm speaking liberty to you that sometimes you're spending a few hours with certain people you should only be spending a few minutes with. You see, friendship happens on a continuum and sometimes you have to downgrade certain friendships where you were besties, but now you know what? You're companions. Where maybe you were companions, but you should actually now be acquaintances with each other. All right? So there's downgrading friendships, and there's some friendships that should be upgraded. That person who's just an acquaintance right now needs to become a companion or an associate of yours. That person who's an associate, they maybe need to become a bestie. And so it's the art of nurturing that relationship so that you actually get the most out of it. And it's a blessing from the Lord. Okay, mutual growth is critical. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus said this. He said, I no longer call you servants. So it means at one stage he called them servants, I guess. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. I love the way Jesus used that phrase, that, that word, friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So the context there is there are secrets of the kingdom. There are mysteries of the kingdom, right? It says the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to you, right? And he shared with them so many things about the kingdom of God. And basically those mysteries of the kingdom, he made known to them. Why? So they could do great things for the kingdom, all right? There's something about good friends where they will share with you their keys. They're willing to do so. I know someone recently was like, oh, you're starting a business and, uh, towards someone else. And they literally coached them around, hey, this is how you can become a better entrepreneur. I love seeing those types of relationships form in the church. Are your friends challenging you to grow? 
That's why the Bible speaks of iron sharpening iron. And I think it's so powerful. You see, Jesus learned certain things from his father, and then he passed this on to the disciples. Okay? Sharing of ideas. Sharing of ideas. So powerful. So my question to you is, when was the last time you passed on what you knew to your friends? When was the last time you passed on what you know to your friends? Someone once said, friends are the bacon bits in the salad bowl of life. Okay, so that assumes that you like bacon, okay? <laughs> you know, if you're that kind of person where you don't like salad, but you know it's good for you. And then those little chunks of meat, it might be a chicken salad and so on, right? But friends are the bacon bits in the salad bowl of life. I just like that. It just it's, it sounds great. I can identify with it. Number four, empathy. Empathy. This is so crucial when it comes to friendship. I like the word empathy. It comes from two Latin words, M and pathos. It literally speaks of feeling into, feeling into. There's something about a friend, a true friend, where they feel into you. And one of the terms that's been used, and I know the new ages like to use it, but I think it's a powerful term, and it's called attunement, attunement. It's where you're attuned to someone else. It's where you're in sync with someone else. Do you ever have it? Some of you who are married, you'll know what I'm talking about, where you are really excited about something, but your spouse doesn't get it, you know, and you have to say to your spouse, like, this is actually quite a big deal for me, and then they get it. Sometimes my wife has said that, you know, she'll describe something, and she'll see my reaction, you know, I'm, I'm looking a bit different and then she might sort of reinforce the statement what is she really saying Paul you're not in sync with how I'm feeling right now you're not in sync with where I'm at right now and that speaks of empathy in Romans 12 verse 15 it says rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn are you in sync with the people that you call friends when they succeed are you rejoicing with them or are you envious I know certain friendships where when their friends are doing really well, they look to themselves and they start thinking to themselves like, but what about me? What about me? Has the Lord passed me, passed me by? It's so important that your friends feel like you're rejoicing with them, right? You're rejoicing with them when they are in a place of joy and they're rejoicing concerning something. Which of your friends are going through a time of grief, a time of mourning? And I'm talking about this not just in having lost someone, but I'm also talking about it when you are grieving any type of loss. Maybe something has changed in their lives, right? Maybe they've lost a business. Maybe they're hoping for something. Maybe they've changed schools and they've lost friends, right? How many of your friends are going through a tough time, maybe grieving? Where they're at emotionally? My question is, are you there for them? I didn't say you have to be their shrink, right? With whatever resources you have, God has given you resources to be a good friend. Are you there for them? I've taught on this a number of times that there are three types of empathy, three types of empathy. The first type of empathy is emotional empathy. That's I feel you. Your friends must feel like, you know what? He feels me. She feels me. Right? If I say I've got a headache, oh, my head is really sore. Oh, where is it so? Ouch. How do you keep doing this when you've got a headache? All right? The second type of empathy is cognitive empathy. And cognitive empathy is I get you. If I say to you, who's your best friend? You will give me a name. And I'll say, why are you best friends with them? And you'll probably say, Paul, you know what? She gets me. Paul, he gets me. Right? I don't have to pretend when I'm around them. I don't feel stressed out when I'm around them. I'm not self-censoring, watching my words all the time. Because this person gets me. 
It's where you communicate it with active listening, where you can actually say, I follow your logic. I see where you're going. I'm not saying I agree with you all the time, but I see where you are going. Then there's what we call empathic concern, and that's basically I'm here for you practically. Hey, what do you need me to do? I can do this for you. A friend of mine recently said to me, you know what, uh, Paul, you're a pastor. You don't have to do those difficult negotiations and things like that in business. I can do that for you. Let me go and have meetings on your behalf. I will do it. You still have to preach on Sunday. And I must say, that's what a friend does. And I really appreciated it. I really appreciated it. And that's a form of empathic concern. Someone gets into your world, they understand what your role is, and they say, let me run with this for you. So my question to you is, are you full of empathy in your friendships? How attuned are you to what your friends are going through? That's a thing of emotional intelligence. When our emotional intelligence goes up, the quality of our friendships also goes up. The fifth one is mutual enjoyment. Remember I shared with you that research earlier on, but one of the key things I want to highlight is the enjoyment needs to be mutual, right? The research found that people were looking for someone whose company they enjoyed. I asked my family this, actually. I think it was last night at dinner. I basically said to them, guys, are you good to be around? Do people enjoy your company? And of course, with the confidence levels of my boys, they were like, oh, yes. Oh, well, with me, yeah, man, I'm just the smart guy. They were saying all sorts of things, right? Then I asked them a question which they seemed to struggle to respond to. I said, well, are there, is there anything that you do? that makes people not want to be around you, that irks them, that stops people from enjoying you. And they found it a bit more difficult to answer that. But these are things we need to think about because part of friendship is enjoyment. And when you're enjoying someone else, guess what happens? There's lots of laughter. If you've got friendships and you're hardly laughing in them, ask yourself, how much mutual enjoyment is there? See, that's one of the unique things about friendship. We love it a lot, but it's actually voluntary. And it's very informal. It's a voluntary thing and it's very informal, yet it's often quite essential when it comes to our general happiness in life, right? As human beings, that's just how God created us, right? But it's informal, right? And no one is forcing us to be friends with those particular people, right? You can't choose your brother, but you can choose your friends. And so you don't have to be friends with someone if you don't enjoy their company. No one forced it on you. That's why when you are married, when it comes to friendships amongst married couples, it's not always easy because you might enjoy that person, but then your wife doesn't enjoy the wife, right? And then it becomes tricky. Do you enjoy each other's company, mutual enjoyment? Do you enjoy their company? Are there things that you do that cause people not to enjoy your company? Very powerful question to reflect on, right? Are you easy to be around? And this is where we need to face ourselves. One of the marks of success, in terms, a key to being successful in life, is to be able to face yourself. To actually say, you know what, I've got some annoying habits. And I actually need to deal with them. Because the problem isn't out there. It's not all those people who are being unfriendly. It's actually me. And I need to look at myself and say, what am I doing that's actually off-putting? Okay? I think it's encouraging when... You form friendships quite easily, especially with other parents at schools and so on. And it's partly because you're enjoying watching your kids playing, 
Okay? There's an element of enjoyment. For many of us, we keep saying to certain friends, oh, we must go on holiday together. Oh, let's go and watch this show together. Those things are important when it comes to enriching your friendship. Not just sitting down with each other and having deep discussions. Mutual enjoyment is key. Someone once said, sometimes having fun with your best friend is the only therapy you need. Sometimes having fun with your best friend is the only therapy you need. I've heard people say, you know what, I actually feel quite lonely. And then they spend time with certain people where there's, there are all these qualities of friendship. And they come out saying, I'm feeling so full. I've had it happen to me before where I was so busy, just caught up in whatever I was doing. And then I meet an old friend and I come home afterwards and I say to my wife, sure, I felt so full. I feel so full. After that interaction, it's because of the mutual enjoyment, the mutual enjoyment. It's useful knowing that a friend is someone you have common interests with, or else you'll end up thinking that every single person you go to for counsel is a friend just because you shared deeply with them. Just because you share deeply with someone doesn't mean they're actually a friend. Okay, the sixth one is what I call sacrificial love. And there are two dimensions here. One is sacrifice and the other one is love. So you love your friends. You care about them, okay? Your focus isn't just, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Your focus isn't just, what am I gonna get out of this? Lust wants to get. Love wants to give. So there's love, but there's also sacrifice. And if you're in a friendship today where you feel like you've sacrificed this and you're always sacrificing that, but the other person isn't also sacrificing anything, you'll have a problem. And very often that friendship ends very quickly because you discover that, wait a minute, this person is abusing me. You see, when, it, when sacrifice is not mutual in a relationship, it feels like abuse. Unless you're a person who's very passive. So there's some people who really just want the attention of a friend. They want the credibility associated with being friends with that particular person. And they're willing to sacrifice anything for that. So what they're getting out of it is it boosts their self-esteem. But that's very unhealthy. That's a codependent, addictive type of relationship. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a sacrifice that comes out of a place of love. John 15, verse 12 to 13, Jesus says this. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love, now watch this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Isn't that powerful how he associates his laying down, the laying down of his life with the fact that I'm doing this for my friends. So sacrifice, okay, and unselfishness, laying down your life, okay, and friendship, biblically, go hand in hand. When was the last time you sacrificed for your friends? Sometimes it's a sacrifice of time. Sometimes I'll speak to people and they'll say, you know what, Paul, I'm willing, I'll wait. if a friend of mine phones me at 2 a.m., I'll get up and I'll go and just rescue them in such and such a situation. If they're stuck on the highway, I'll go. That's what I do for my friends. You see, when you have a strong theology of friendship, you develop a philosophy around it where you're saying, you know what? These are my friends. This is what I do for them. This is how I am toward them. This is how I speak to them. This is how I don't act, Right? And you're clear about that. It's not just based on emotion. So sacrifice 
needs to be mutual. You see, we often associate sacrifice with family or with marriage. But in this scripture, Jesus was basically showing that it's appropriate even for friendship. Okay? True friends are willing to make sacrifices willingly. Okay? Instead of complaining. Okay? Instead of complaining, let sacrifice in a friendship be a value. And do it out of choice, not because you're being bullied. All right? But there's also a type of love in friendship. And the type of love I'm talking about, it's a love where you love the person the way they are. Have you noticed that the friendships that are really great are the friendships that boost your sense of self-acceptance? Where you feel like these people enjoy my sense of humor. They love my proclivities. They love just my anecdotal behavior. They just love my strange ways. They, they know, this is me. It's stressful when you're in a friendship where you feel like these guys don't accept me for who I am. It becomes stressful and you find you avoid those people because they make, as a result of interacting with them, you feel anxious very often. Okay? The moment you have to perform in a friendship, the situation becomes very stressful. Number seven, mutual trust. Mutual trust. Remember I shared with you earlier on that the research found that people would say, one of the things I look for in a friendship is someone I can depend on. Someone I can depend on. Someone who's dependable. We are drawn to those types of people, aren't we? Now, there are three major types of trust, and I've taught on this quite a bit. The first is functional trust. Functional trust is I will do what I said I will do. In other words, you keep your word. Ask yourself, is there that in your friendship Within your marriage, for example, is there that in your friendship with your siblings or friendship that you may have as an adult with your parents, right? I'll do what I said I'll do. In Proverbs 18 verse 24, it says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, soon comes to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, the mark of a great friend is that they stick closer than a brother but that's indicative of high trust. They're dependable. They're dependable. If you're a forgetful person, you might have good intentions, but after a while, the trust wanes and people are like, mm, let me go to so-and-so because I know I can rely on them. I just need to ask them once. They've got an ask once policy and I know it will be done. I know it will be done. The second type of trust is relational trust. Relational trust. When you trust someone at a relational level, you feel like, you know what, I can share with you my secrets and you're not going to spread rumors about me. You're going to value the confidential nature of those things that I've shared with you, right? Relational trust is I feel safe with you. Relational trust is, you know what, I can share with you my weaknesses and you're not going to victimize me and use these against me. I feel safe with you. So there's mutual disclosure in the relationship and there's transparency in it. When you try and build friendship with someone, but there's no transparency, after a while you're like, okay, this person is quite selective about what they tell me, right? And it limits the level of the friendship, doesn't it? Okay? If you want a friendship to go deeper, relational trust is so important, right? And that's why I love what Jesus says in John 15, verse 15. And I've read this scripture before to you earlier on, but I want to read it again because here I want to emphasize on relational trust. This is where he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So your friends, your true 
deep friends, they know your business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. He was transparent. And you could see that Jesus wanted to share with them even more. He said, there's so many things about the kingdom that I could share, you know. There's so many things I want to share with you. So my question to you is, do you keep things confidential that are confidential? Can people make themselves vulnerable with you or are they afraid of being victimized? Because you're quick to judge. You're quick to say, no, dude, this is, no, it's because of this. You're very opinionated. Instead of drawing out the person and finding out why did they do this? Why do they do that? And then speaking the truth in love. Right? Maybe you're too opinionated and you share your opinions too soon before they've really shared where they are at. Then we've got capability trust. We've got capability trust. This is, I know you're good at what you do and I can lean on you because of your strengths. And we forget about this when it comes to friendship. But some of the people who we become friends with is because of their strengths. And so we can lean on them. I know that my wife has done amazing things for some of her friends. She will sew certain clothes for them, right? And give them and say, oh, I sewed this for you, right? She's using a strength she has. She'll give them advice in terms of their diet and how they eat, right? Uh, building a healthy lifestyle, their training, exercise, okay? She's using that strength. She's mentored and coached me just around some of the things, around my fitness and my running and that kind of thing, okay? She's my best friend, but what is she doing? She's strengthening me with her capability, and it's so powerful when you've got friendships like that, when there's what I call mutual positive regard, but we'll talk about that just now. You see, some of the biggest relational assets in our lives are actually friends that God has actually sent into our lives to strengthen us. Some of your best business advisors are actually your friends because they know you, they know your personality, they're going to be direct and candid with you, but they've also got a strength. Are we leaning on them when it comes to their strengths? Are we helping them with our strengths? Are we conscious of how they value our strengths? Okay. I've noticed with a lot of friendships, people hold back because they say, oh, no, people might think I'm showing off, so I won't give them advice in this particular area. But if you are a learner and they're a learner and they love learning and you love learning from each other, lean on each other when it comes to strengths. You know, Jesus knew the strength and the potential of his disciples who were also his friends. In John 14, verse 12, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus was so confident in the competence that would come upon his friends who were his disciples, okay, because of the Holy Spirit in them, okay? In your friendships, are you conscious of the strengths in your friends. You know, in our church, we've got amazing strengths around. If I think of some of the people who are so skilled, if I think of Juan and what he can do with his hands, if I think of Charlton and what he knows about medical aid systems and so on, he's an actuary, he's a specialist in that whole world. But how many people who are friends of these people tap into that particular strength? How many people go to my wife and say, please give me advice on my eating, for example? How many people do that? It's so powerful when you build friendships and you recognize the strengths in your 
friends. Number eight, mutual respect. Mutual respect. One of the things I've observed about good friendships is we admire each other. They admire me and I admire them. And that's why very often I'm saying to this friend of mine, thank you, thank you for this and this and this. I really appreciate it. And almost in the same sentence, in the same breath, they're busy thanking me for what they appreciate in me. And it's what I call mutual positive regard. I admire you and you admire me. If you're in a friendship right now where it's like, you know what, guys, you guys need me, but I don't really need you. After some time, something unhealthy kicks in and it's not really a true friendship. There's no mutual positive regard. I love what Paul says concerning some of the people who are his associates, his mentees, and his friends. Just look how he speaks about this. In Romans 12 verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. That's why I don't like that whole high school thing that you see on TV where you've got these bevy of girls and there's always the queen bee, you know? And they all just look up to her and they all just admire her and she looks down on the rest of them, right? That's not healthy friendship. There's something dysfunctional there, right? Honor one another above yourselves, right? Look how Paul would speak concerning Timothy. And how you'd speak concerning Epaphras. In Philippians 2, verse 19 to 20, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See how he praises Timothy. I mean, here's Timothy's spiritual father, but He's just adoring Timothy, right? Colossians 1, verse 7 to 8. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. He doesn't stop there. Who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit, okay? Admiration. Colossians 4, 12 to 13. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. Can you see how he admired Epaphras and was very specific about the qualities that Epaphras had? And that's one of the things we do with our friends, for our friends, we actually endorse them. We're always saying, man, this guy is awesome. I'm always doing that. For many of you who are listening right now, I'm always doing that. And I don't always come back and say, oh, I did that. Oh, I did that. But we endorse each other. We um, give referrals to each other. And because certain people trust me, right, when I then tell them that, they go with that. And vice versa, because you say wonderful things about your friends, right, what happens? People go based on your word. They go with that. And we need to do that. So do your friends have attributes that you admire and emulate? Think of those people you've listed and you've said, these are my friends. Do they have attributes that you admire and you emulate? Okay. What does respect look like for them? Do you show them that respect? For some people, they're like, you know what? Greeting me is important. I need to be greeted. Don't just wave and say hi, shake my hand. For some people, that's how they feel respected, right? 
For other people, it's how you speak to them. For other people, it's, hey, ask me for advice. It's so important to understand how people are different and to say, you know what? I want to honor my friends. I want to honor my friends, right? In Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Okay? Value others above yourselves. So important. Let's go a little bit into an important aspect of friendship. And that's the ninth one I want to look at. And it's candor. Candor. You know when someone says, can I be candid with you? When you're candid with someone, you say what you mean and you mean what you say. And that's a mark of friendship. It's a mark of friendship. You want to have those type of people in your life, right? I remember there was a time when I was preaching uh, years ago at a particular friend's church. And um, it was a powerful message and so on. But afterwards, one of the things he said to me is, hey, homie, when you said this and this in your message, what were your motives? Why did you say that? All right? And I had shared something about some spiritual exploit that I had done. But you know what? I actually didn't need to say that. Maybe I want people to admire me or respect me more. And it was good. He called me out on it. He was candid with me. All right? In Proverbs 27, verse 5 to 6, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as you build a friendship, for example, with your spouse. It's so important to be candid with each other. And it's so important not to be overly sensitive about it. To know that this person loves me unconditionally, right? So they mean well. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Sometimes it's like, ouch, this person said this, but I know where it's coming from. I know where it's coming from. That's candor. The sad thing is there are a lot of people who aren't true friends, and they'll never tell you the truth. They'll never tell you the truth. Someone once said, good friends don't let you do stupid things alone. <laughs> okay? Good friends don't let you do stupid things alone. They come and they say, listen, dude, let's cover for you. Stop it. Stop it. You know? There have been times where I had a particular friend in the church and there'll be times when I would get carried away, maybe with my sense of humor or something, and I'll start saying certain things that aren't necessarily appropriate to say publicly, okay? Maybe just dissing someone and so on. And I remember the guy used to sometimes go from the back type of thing. And it was good because he understood my personality and was able to actually just stop me from saying certain things, okay? Or shortening the foolish things I would have been saying, right? Um, so a true friend will be candid with you. Someone once said, a true friend can see beyond your mask even when you are fooling everyone else. A true friend can see beyond your mask even when you are fooling everyone else. You see, in true friendship, there's unfiltered conflict around ideas. So we can debate certain things. We can engage in dialogue around certain things. But we're still best friends afterwards. And that's a place of maturity in a friendship. A friendship is not mature when you find that you can't even have an intellectual discussion around something without the other person sulking. All right? That's emotional immaturity in a friendship. You can disagree on matters without taking it personally. That friend can be direct with you. 
but you know it's coming from a good place. So I'm going to ask you some questions. How candid can you be with your friends? And if you can't be candid with them, why? Why can't you be candid with them? Why can't you say to them, listen, this is a sign of backsliding. The way you are now living your life, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned because I see a lot of people, they hang out with each other, they joke with each other, and they say, that's my good friend, but they can't call out that person concerning something. They can't say to that individual, I felt really uncomfortable the way I saw you speaking to your wife. No, they just laugh along, you know? The guy says, it cracks a horrible joke about his wife, that's demeaning. And everyone is just sort of like, you know, they just laugh along. Maybe they borrowed money from that person and they can't um, feel free to challenge that individual. That's not healthy. Are you completely free with your friends? Another question I have for you is, of what are you afraid? You see, for a lot of people, they're afraid of permanently altering a relationship. You hear them actually saying that. I'm afraid, Paul, that I might permanently alter that relationship with this particular friend. So that's why I'm very careful how I challenge them concerning this particular thing. And what I realize in psychology, we call it catastrophizing a situation. You're making a catastrophe out of something that's not a catastrophe, right? If you bring it up, if they're a true friend, they should know where it's coming from, right? And sometimes friendships have to be tested. There's the honeymoon phase in a friendship, right? Where everything is fine and you haven't challenged each other before. But there will come that time where you have to actually say, listen, I didn't appreciate this. I didn't appreciate that. And then it tests the friendship. And when you get through that honeymoon phase, there's no anxiety afterwards. You're not feeling anxious around that person because you've seen that, you know what? I've managed to challenge you and call you out on an issue and we're still friends. And that's fine. Okay? So that's really important. How much self-censoring is there when you speak to your friends? In other words, do you keep second-guessing yourself? Do you keep triple-checking what you're going to say? Or are you relaxed around them? Very important, candor. And then finally, number 10, intercession. There's something about a good friend where you stand in the gap. You stand in the gap for them in prayer, and you also plead with other people on their behalf. You plead with other people on their behalf. All right? Before God and before man, I'm willing to stand in the gap for you. So my question is, do you pray for your friends regularly? One of the things in our family we've got is Friday nights are the nights where we pray for our friends. Okay? There are times when I'm in, t in my time of prayer, I'll reflect on certain friends that I've got, and I'll think of their situations. It's time to pray for them. You see, it's not just something a pastor does. It's not something I'm doing necessarily in my pastoral capacity, but it's something we do for our friends. In Job chapter 16, verses 20 to 21, it says, My intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. As one pleads for a friend, pleading goes hand in hand with friendship. You plead on their behalf, okay? Do you pray regularly for your friends? Do you mediate on their behalf in certain matters? Or do you just sit on the fence and say, hey, dude, I'm not gonna fight your battles here. You need to sort out that one. You're in a complex situation. It's none of my business, okay? Just ask yourself, how can I plead on their behalf? 
All right. So if we work on these qualities, we become better friends with people. The quality of our friendships grows. But we also choose better friends because we know this is what a friendship is supposed to look like. When we look in scripture, as you go from here, I want you to just focus a bit on the word. The word in the Hebrew for friend is ra'ah. And in scripture, it's sometimes translated friend, sometimes companion, sometimes your fellow, sometimes your neighbor, sometimes even husband. That word is also used when we're talking about husband. And that's why I like to reinforce that your spouse should also be your friend. As you look at friendship on a continuum, reflect and say, God, please help me to be a good friend biblically in line with these 10 things that we've spoken about. And please, Lord, help me to select good friends. Assess your situation. Assess your friendships. Are there certain friends you have to upgrade? Are there certain friends you have to downgrade? Are there certain friendships you have to actually terminate according to the word of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what we are learning about friendship as we build a theology around this. I pray right now for every single person who's heard this message that, Lord, we would become skilled at building friendships. And Lord, if there are any friendships that we are in right now that need to be downgraded, give us the courage to have the difficult conversations or literally to find ways of downgrading those friendships. Lord, we recognize and we come before you recognizing, Lord God, that our friends can influence us and often do. And so we yield this area of our lives to you and we ask for your help. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's build community, even with our family members, even during lockdown times and so on. Let's build community through building friendships. You can do a lot of Skyping. You can do a lot of Zooming. You can connect during this period, this season. God bless you all.